1: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Clay America. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. Because my job's not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you, so call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Last night, last night, last night, the keepers of the Dow Jones Industrial Average made some seemingly baffling moves. Swapping out sell, sell, sell. Pfizer for Ange. Axing Raytheon ah. for Honeywell. Bye, bye, bye! And ditching Exxon ah. for Salesforce. Which we'll be hearing from later tonight after the monster quarter they just reported. Placing the largest oil and gas company with an once-obscure software plate. Uh, dropping a respected drug company for a decent biotech? Kicking a defense contractor into the curb for an industrial? If it made you scratch your head, you're not alone. These changes had an enormous impact on today's action. You didn't they but they did. Dow ultimately dipping 60 points. Even as the S&P advanced 0.36% and the Nasdaq gained 0.76%. And in all honesty, I think these moves made a lot of sense. They bring the Dow closer to the reality of the new economy, not the memory of the old economy. Before I delve into each trade, you should know there's a ceremonial aspect to the Dow. It's kind of like the king to the S&P 500's prime minister. Simultaneously more prestigious and a lot less important. When I was still a hedge fund manager, I included my fund's performance against both the Dow and the S&P, but only included the Dow because we had some older investors who still regarded it as the most important benchmark. Now that we live in a world of ETFs, the ones that mirror the S&P have trillions of dollars in them, and whenever a new name gets swapped in, there's a gigantic wave, a tidal wave of buying and selling. The Dow, on the other hand, has very little money invested in it via ETFs. Still, it's a big deal if you work for one of these anointed companies, because this is a very exclusive club with only 30 members, and you can get dropped if you underperform. Look at what happened to GE. But that's not why Exxon, Pfizer, or Honeywell got the boot. And by the way, I thought that all of these would go down at a particular point because they tend not to go up and stay up. But today happened to be a very special day, particularly for this one. Let's go over these three trades. First, the real shocker here is an oil company coming out and a cloud company coming in. ExxonMobil is not just any oil company. It is a colossus that bestrides the world. Ten years ago, this was the biggest company on Earth. It shrunk since then. But even four years ago, it was the fourth largest. Exxon was always considered the safest, most conservative oil play. But over the last few years, it lost that crown to Chevron which is why Chevron is probably going to be standing in the Dow. In fact, Exxon now makes me a little nervous because it's got an 8.5% dividend, which suggests that a lot of investors believe that dividend will have to be slashed. What a stunning fall from grace for one of the greatest blue chips of all time. In its place, we're getting Kramer fave Salesforce. The cloud kingpin that now has a larger market cap than Exxon. These are two perfect foils. Exxon, which was founded in 1870 when it was the bedrock of Rockefeller's old standard oil company. Salesforce just turned 21. It came public in 2004. And since then, the stock's up uh, 770, 7,700 percent, 7,700. What's that, right? 7,700 percent from its IPO price. Exxon's arguably the world's leading contributor to global warming. Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, is trying to plant three trillion trees to recapture that carbon. Good trade. I think this is a fantastic move. Exxon represents the fuel of the old economy, oil and gas. Salesforce represents the fuel of the new economy, code, cloud, digitization. I know it's a business-to-business operation, but as someone who's run a business, I can tell you that we had a 30% boost not long after Salesforce was installed. We'll flesh this story out further when we talk to Mark Benioff later in the show about his remarkable quarter. But the key here is something I've been saying for a while. Oil and gas is simply not investable for the long term. I'm doubling down on that view. All right, how about swapping out Pfizer for Amgen? Okay, and I'm a little torn here, okay? Uh, Sure, maybe Pfizer's too much like fellow travelers Johnson & Johnson and Merck. If that's the case, I'm going to go in with a medical instruments play. How about Thermo Fisher? They're, how about Abbott Labs? Big hold of my charitable trust. Monster good. Uh, these are amazing companies, but it seems like they specifically wanted some biotech to highlight the industry's increasing relevance. So fine, let's accept that the Dow needs a biotech. Why Amgen, though? This is one of the great growth stocks of our era. It is up 72,000% since its IPO in 1983, but it's no spring chicken. Amgen is more like the face of biotech in 2000 than the face of biotech in 2020. I'm sure the Pfizer people are scratching their heads as the growth rates are actually similar. And Pfizer is almost a 4% yield. As a portfolio manager, I I wouldn't make this call. But they wanted a biotech, and Amgen is the biggest biotech, although definitely not the best or the most representative. I would go there with some others that I write about all the time. Finally, there's the Raytheon for Honeywell swap. Now, this is a very interesting one, and I'm going to tell you why, because this has not anything having to do with Raytheon. You see... Um, it's, a, it's so straightforward that it's basically housekeeping. When the old United Technologies split into three companies, they merged their aerospace business with Raytheon, spinning off Otis elevators. We had them on. Great story. A carrier of the climate equipment control. The old United Technologies was diversified industrial. The new Raytheon's an aerospace and defense play that's way too similar to another Dow Jones compadre, Boeing. Meanwhile, Honeywell looks a lot like the pre-breakup United Technologies they got an aerospace division that's roughly 37% of the business. They've also got building technologies division, performance materials, safety and productivity solutions. All these are highly engineered, that's the key word, engineered businesses. Honeywell's revolutionizing all sorts of seemingly banal industries. For example, their Aclar healthcare business is developing a vaccine packaging that's a lot more practical than glass files. They can do billions of them. Their heating, ventilation, air conditioning systems are packed with software. Their warehouse automation division is growing at a 20% clip, 300% increase in orders, and a backlog of 140%. Their battery business is fabulous, too. Oh, and they have the best mass franchise for anyone who's really worried about COVID. Don't take it from me. Listen to what J.P. Morgan's Steve Tusa, the best industrial analyst, going told me about the new Honeywell. And I quote, At its heart, Honeywell is an automation controls technology company with the heartbeat of that installed base software. The irons in the fire range from standalone software for commercial buildings and e-commerce to quantum computing related revenue streams and businesses being created out of thin air by leveraging an already embedded R&D function. The balance sheet offers the resources to accentuate these initiatives and compound earnings in the age of split ups. This is a synergistic conglomerate that works. End quote. Steve Tusa. Like Salesforce, it's a very big position in my travel trust, and I was hoping it would go lower so we could buy more. Now, that seems less likely. Now, In the end, I don't think these three additions will matter all that much to the actual Dallas direction. If you bought the winners, you might not want to stick around unless you're willing to do the homework and understand what these three companies actually do. This isn't like the S&P where you buy and flip. There's no one to flip to. That said, if we're going to have a prestigious ceremonial index like the Dow Jones Industrial Average, we might as well try to make it more modern, more representative of the world today, not the world of yesterday. The oil industry shrinking. The cloud's on fire. Farm is fine. Biotech growing like a weed. And swapping out Raytheon for Honeywell is really just a return to the status quo, anti-United Technologies breakup. Welcome back, Honeywell. Here's the bottom line. This rebalancing came about because of a need for more technology in this index, given how big the tech sectors come. I think that the job's almost done. Okay, there are some stragglers out there in the index that we like, right? I mean, how about Facebook? How about Amazon? Alphabet? They'd be good additions, although that could take some time, especially since it is the Dow Jones Industrial Averages that we're talking about. Bryce? Bryson in Arizona. Bryson! Booyah, Dr. Kramer. Joe what's chicken? Hey, man, your staff is great. I appreciate my uh, my call. My staff is unbelievable. Unbelievable staff. I bring them coffee and lunch every day and fruit per cup. That's actually a reverse, but as you should. Hey, so my question is this with uh, with the progression of renewable
2: energies, especially solar, I see homes and buildings becoming more energy independent. So my question is twofold. Uh, One is how do you think This is going to impact electric utility companies in the long run.
1: And then more specifically, number two is, what are your thoughts on a long-term hold strategy for Duke Energy D UK. Yeah, well, you know what I I think that there are issues about solar. Uh, I like AEP, by the way. I mean, what, Elon Musk, when I, at a fable dinner I have, when he called me a simulation, or he felt there was a fifty percent chance there was a simulation. He's, he's always a very pleasant man. Um, he did basically tell me that he felt that all of ener- solar energy is going to take over the whole country, and if that's the case, then uh, you don't want to be in Duke. That said, I mean, look, I think AEP is a great installed base. I said that to Mister Musk too. Um, that really didn't change his opinion of me. Uh, he was stuck with the 50 percent simulation and that perhaps I didn't exist at all, which would kind of make this whole world really very, very Stephen King. Like, are you a guy like the staff? They're a lot. I mean, you know, maybe it is like Stephen King's story. Let's go to Jeffrey in New York, please. Jeffrey.
2: Hi. Hi. How are you, Jim? I've been watching your show for many years. and I find it very, very helpful. Oh, Thank you, um, Jeffrey. We're no, out there every day, you? man. I enjoy it. You're a good man. Uh, this is regarding Crown Castle, CCI symbol. I was on your show July 21st, and there was a recommendation on it. And right. The next day, I bought it at 169 and it's been going down since. And then yesterday, it stopped trading, Great. I think, at around 159 but I didn't check it today, so I'd just like to know well, what, what's well, going look, on. Well, look, I mean, here's what's happened.
1: About. These guys are um, they're in a tussle with Elliott which is a very smart group of people. Uh, They've told a good story, but Elliott Management, I think, tells a better one personally. And I think that if they say to Elliott, you know what, we're going with your group, then you got a chance to go to 180, 190 instantly. Otherwise, it's going to take a little while to get there. All right. The Dow is now indicative of the world of today. There's still more work that needs to be done. That can take some time. Oh, man, tonight, are consumers still stocking their cupboards now that COVID lockdowns have eased? I'm going to talk to CEO of Hormel after its report to find out. And despite a mixed day on the averages, could a market top be just around the corner? Hmm. I'll tell you what the charts are saying. But first, one of the newest members of the Dow, Salesforce, joins me after earnings. So stay with Kramer.
3: NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
1: Salesforce.com just gave us the best debut since Travinsky's Rite of Spring sparked a riot on opening night over a century ago. Yet merely one day after the news that Salesforce will be joining the Dow Jones Industrial Average, replacing the stodgy ExxonMobil, the company that pioneered cloud computing goes and reports one of the best quarters we've seen all year. Yep, Salesforce delivered magnificent $0.47 cent earnings beat off a $0.67 cent basis. Much higher than expected revenue, up nearly 29% year-over-year. Year. Blowout billings, up 36%. Makes sense. The stay-at-home economy is forcing all sorts of companies to digitize. Salesforce has the software they need. Even better, management raised their full-year forecast dramatically. They could make $3.73 per share this fiscal year. People are looking for $2.97. That, people, is insane, especially after the previous quarter, which caused so much Sturm and drag. Get this. Salesforce had a 63% increase in seven-figure deals from a year ago. In response, the stock exploded higher in after hours trading and deserved every point of this move. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Mark Benioff, the bankable co-founder, chairman and CEO of Salesforce. Learn more about the quarter. Mark, double congratulations and welcome back to Mad Money.
5: Jim, great to be with you always.
1: All right. So, Mark, um, this is someday. first of all. Congratulations on being added to the Dow. It's better than ceremonial. It is a recognition that you're one of the great 30. But Mark, the numbers today are the best beat I've seen. I don't know. Let's go back maybe this decade, this last decade. How'd you do it?
5: Well, Jim, thanks. You know, this has been such a challenging time for so many of us. And, uh, you know, we realized with 54,000 employees working at home, uh, with a raging pandemic, with this economic crisis, social justice crisis, uh, with this environmental crisis, we we had two changes. We could stay and do what we were doing, or we could change. We could evolve. We could shift, and we did. We made key changes to our business so that we could go forward and go faster, and that is why I am so excited about this quarter. And also, Jim, this is a victory for stakeholder capitalism, because I think you know that we did a great job for our shareholders this quarter, but we also did a great job for our stakeholders as well. And this is a moment when we need to be thinking not just about how to serve all of our customers, but also how to take care of our communities because they are in so much pain. You have a giant revenue beat, twenty nine percent,
1: and yet I will say this, and I hope that the, the other uh, pe- the other CEOs will listen. Please don't get mad at me, but I know you devote more time towards charity than the other CEO I know. So what do we conclude? Can we conclude that being good actually generates great numbers?
5: Well, as I said, Jim, this is a victory for stakeholder capitalism. It shows that you can do well and you can do good at the same time. You know, our stakeholders have radically benefited from this company since we went public in 2004. We were on your show for the very first time a few years. After that, that's been more than a 5,000% return for our shareholders. But our stakeholders have also benefited. Of course, we have done millions of hours of volunteerism. Maybe perhaps I'm most proud of what happened this quarter We gave an additional $20 million to our San Francisco and Oakland public schools. We also included our New York schools and Indianapolis schools, other key headquarters of Salesforce as well. That's over $120 million that we've been able to give to public education. Our public schools are key stakeholders of Salesforce. So while we're growing the company, while we're doing well for our customers, we're also taking care of our stakeholders. That's our very core of who we are at Salesforce.com.
1: I know you like irony. What do you think of the irony of the largest carbon company being taken out of the Dow uh, by a a company whose CEO wants to plant three trillion trees?
5: Well, we do. We have created 1T.org, and I encourage everyone to go and look at that because we want to sequester over 200 gigatons of carbon. Salesforce for many years has been a net zero company. That is, we have no new net carbon emissions. You can see our stakeholder report. We encourage every company to become a net zero company. But it's not enough to be net zero. We need to go out and sequester that 200 gigatons of carbon that has been really put out into the atmosphere by all of us over the last several decades. That's the best thing that we can do for our environment. We're so excited about that because Jim, the planet is a key stakeholder. All right. So, Mark, today, uh, Professor
1: Jeremy Siegel, my love, it was great to my late dad. They were in the same building. He was saying, you know what? A lot of people may not even know what Salesforce does. Now, I know because every time I ever hired you, we had a 30 percent lift in our business, which is not bad. 30 percent is hard to get. Uh, but maybe you can tell people, say, for instance, a company everybody knows, ATT. What are you doing for ATT?
5: Well, Jim, thank you for letting me talk about our customers. You know, I love them and I love working with our customers and AT&T I work so closely with their CEO of wireless products, which is Jeff McElfresh. Jeff is just a brilliant visionary, and he has an idea that we are pursuing that I think will impact the whole communications industry, Jim. It is that when you show up at any AT&T customer touchpoint, that is their stores, their call centers, their apps, if you go and get an email message from them, if a service technician shows up at your home, Regardless of the customer touchpoint, AT&T will know who you are. They will have a single source of truth. And the big news this quarter, Jim, is we signed that deal, as you know, in February of this year, February 2020. We have already delivered the first 35,000 users now, deployed, deployed this quarter just six months later. Because, Jim, one of the keys to being successful in this pandemic for every company, including AT&T, including Salesforce, is speed, speed. And we have radically accelerated the speed of our deployments. And we're working really hard to make sure that our customers get what they need as fast as we can possibly deliver it to them, including this tremendous deployment now at AT AT&T. Hundreds of stores, 35,000 users already deployed. Incredible.
1: Okay, so uh, we want to I
5: want to go back just one moment. First, I'm going to talk more about about charity,
1: frankly. But we did have PayPal on this week, Dan Schulman. Talk about speed. And you're working with him now.
5: Well, you know I love Dan Schulman, and I love PayPal. (laughs) I love PayPal, but Dan also, he has a tremendous opportunity to be more connected to his customer in new ways, and that is why he is using our sales cloud and our service cloud and MuleSoft and many other of our products to build a single source of truth around his customers. PayPal is a great product, electronic payments, contactless payments, more relevant, more important than ever, especially with the pandemic. But what it means, Jim, is that Dan Schulman, PayPal, they have to know their customers more than ever before. They have to have a one-on-one relationship with their customers. They have to be on a customer journey. And I'll tell you, I love PayPal. I use the product. It's mm-hmm. incredible. But what they need to do is the next step is know me like no, no other person. They need to just, bam, know me. And that's why we have uh, had this great relationship now with PayPal. Okay,
1: so you shocked the world when you said... Not coming back till the end of July of 2021. That sent all the housing stocks roaring, all the companies that do work at home roaring. Because everyone knows you do work.com. Everyone knows you have the pulse of what people have to do. Is it just good for business and good for
5: people? Why are you doing it? Jim, you know we have introduced work.com. We introduced it on this show. It is now our fastest growing product ever. Well, wow. companies have to get back to work. They have to get back to work safely. That's extremely important and many companies have and many companies have opened their offices, including ours. But the reality is not everyone is ready to get back to work. We don't have a vaccine. We don't have a culture yet that's safe for all companies to get back to work. But we can get back to work in certain situations. Work.com enables that. And that's, hey, look at the college's university campuses right now, look at this great deal that we signed this quarter and deployed with the University of Kentucky. They're back to school, they're back to work. They need contact tracing. They need shift scheduling. They need a workforce command center. Schools, it doesn't matter if you're a K through 12 school, doesn't matter if you're a high school, doesn't matter if you're a college or university. You need work.com because you've got to know what's happening with the pandemic with your school. That's going to let you go back to school safely. That's incredible.
1: All right. Well, last one. So where were you when you learned that you got that you joined the Dow Jones Industrial Average? Who'd you call?
5: I was right here at home and all of a sudden, several friends of mine started texting me saying, well, congratulations, Salesforce is part of a Dow. You've replaced Exxon. And I'm like, I never thought, you know, when we started this company, Jim, now more than 21 years ago, that we would create a company that's worth more than $200 billion, that, you know, this year we'll do more than $20 billion in revenue. And here we are. It's amazing. Look at that. this growth rate. We're still growing this year at 22% at $20 billion. That's you know faster than any enterprise software company in history. In fact, in this quarter, Jim, our, we did $5.15 billion. Jim, did you see that we did more than 29% growth? That's unprecedented in software. And we also ha- delivered our best operating margin ever at more than 20%, also unprecedented. So we're very excited about being in the the Dow, but we're also very excited and grateful to all of our Ohana, all of our employees, our customers, our partners, everyone who has worked so hard to pivot to be successful during such a challenging time.
1: Well, Mark Benioff, congratulations to you and your team, both for being the Dow and for having the biggest beat of the largest company that I can ever recall. Great to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Great to see you. I'm
5: looking forward to seeing you again.
1: All right. Thank you very much. This Mark Benioff, Chair and CEO of Salesforce with I don't even know how to... It's a beast! Their money's back in.
4: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match
1: Can you do a piece about Hormel without wearing your spam mask to start? I love it. Probably seen it in that nice little public service ad about Jim Cramer on CNBC. Anyway, I believe in masks. When the pandemic hit, the first stocks to bounce back were the packaged food place as people stocked up to make it through the lockdown. Then they traded sideways as so we got the situation under control for getting their groove back last month as COVID cases exploded again. So how do we know when this trade is on its course or is it not a trade? Take Hormel. It's the company you know as Spam. It's also Skippy Peanut Butter, Applegate Organic Meats, Jennie-O Turkey and Hormel Canned Chili, among other brands. Stocks up more than 30 percent from its March lows, including roughly 7 percent gains since the last time we talked about these this company on March 18th. But this morning Hormel reported while the company shot the lights out, the stock went down. Of course it was at its all-time high. Which well, see we're talking about a fabulous top and bottom line beat with record sales, but it wasn't perfect. The costs are rising a little bit. They warned of potential supply shortages. Management only gave qualitative guide for the next quarter. No numbers. Still, it was a fantastic quarter. Come on. I think the main worry here is that we don't know how long the stockpile trade will last. So let's go straight to the source with Jim Snees, the chairman and CEO of Hormel Foods. He had a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Snee, welcome back to Mad Money.
2: Hi, Jim. Great to be with you again.
1: All right. So, Jim, it's a tough situation because you can't just say, all right, here, look, we think that Spam and Skippy and Dinty Moore and Applegate are going to continue to be fantastic because you don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic. But they are fantastic. So how do you choose your words, sir? So to keep the enthusiasm in, but not make it so that we're too excited.
2: Well, I mean, we want you to be excited because we're excited. I mean, we just had a record quarter, Um, and and what was was so great about the quarter, Jim, was the fact that it was so broad-based. So all the items that you just described, those were our center of the store, iconic brands. They had a great quarter. But equally as important were the brands around the perimeter of the store. So you mentioned Applegate, think Black Label Bacon, Hormel Pepperoni. I mean, the key to all of this is the balance that we've really built in our portfolio over time. So this isn't just a one-trick pony where we're dependent on people to go to center of the store We're, we're certainly glad that so many consumers have come back there we've seen millions come into our franchise since the start of the pandemic but more importantly is this intentional balance that we've built across brands across businesses and across channels you know we've got a retail business we've got a great food service business clearly food service has been dramatically impacted during the pandemic but we're still very optimistic about that business as food service continues to reimagine itself over time and continues its recovery.
1: Well, uh, let's let's talk about one of the businesses that I think is an extraordinary one-two punch. You know, Smucker was on today. Smucker has jib. Uh, you, you guys have Skippy. I grew up in a Skippy house. Uh, what happened to peanut butter here? I mean, we had PBJ. That's what we had, okay? I, t- I, took, I never liked the jelly. My mom loved the jelly. But peanut butter was the staple of our house. And then I thought it went away. And except for these, like, boutique peanut butters. What is with peanut butter? You know, I don't think
2: peanut butter ever did go away. I mean, you look at the household penetration of peanut butter, it's incredibly high. It's in just about every household. And you do have brand favorites, right? So you're talking about two iconic brands. And it really then becomes, how are you connecting with the consumers? How are you reminding them to purchase the product? And when they've got it in their pantry, are you reminding them and educating them on on how to use it, the variety of ways that they can use it? Are you innovating in the category? You know, just uh, just recently, we announced three new innovations for our Skippy brand. We've got a squeezable Skippy, a no-sugar-added Skippy, and a protein-added Skippy. So those are the kinds of things that, that keep brands fresh and new with consumers. And that's why we believe peanut butter is only going to continue to grow. And we saw that in our results, not only this quarter, but in previous quarters, as Skippy has really delivered great results for our organization.
1: Now, Applegate's been great since you bought it. It's just had some sort of breakout here that I think, and this is, again, the problem of trying to figure out when this rally ends, so to speak. To me, Applegate became household in five months.
2: Yep. Yeah, I I think, you know, I know you're a huge fan of Applegate and and we are too, obviously, Jim. You know, the, the key here is, is as consumers were at home, You had parents who were looking for foods to to feed to their kids, and and Applegate just fit that bill perfectly. You think about the chicken nuggets, think about the hot dogs, sliced lunch meat. Um, You know, Applegate has a great broad portfolio of items. The, The key for us now is to understand who these new consumers are that have come into the franchise and what do we need to do differently. How do we talk to them to make sure they stay, make sure they're utilizing the the products on a regular basis? That's our job as brand stewards. We have an obligation to make sure that we're keeping as many of these new households in our franchise for the long term. And that is one of our top priorities
1: across all of
2: our marketing organizations.
1: Well, you talk about brand steward, but you're also brand stakeholders. And I thought what you did with Community College for employees' independence is the kind of break that this country has to start thinking about. And I just want to give you the floor to talk about this, because this is what we're doing wrong in the country in terms of government and what private industry is doing right.
2: Well, well, thank you, Jim. I mean, we, we couldn't agree more. I mean, clearly, we had a bird's-eye view to the social unrest that took place here in Minnesota. And, and it was one of those things that we took a step back and said, okay, well, I mean, we've got options here. You know, we could just write a check. We're capable of writing a lot of checks, a lot of big checks, or we can do something that's really going to make a difference. And so uh, we settled on the Hormel Foods Inspired Pathways Program, where we're offering the opportunity for every child of a Hormel Foods employee graduating from high school to have a free two-year community college education. This is an opportunity to really make a difference. This, this is game-changing, as you described, because our employee base, our frontline workers, the people who are showing up every day, the ones who have been the true heroes in all of this, we have an incredibly diverse population, diverse backgrounds, diverse cultures. Some of them have never had the opportunity to have that education. And for us to give them the opportunity to pass that along to their families, to their children... That's life changing. And so we're excited to think about the change it'll have on families, the change it'll have on communities, not just today, next year, but for generations to come. Well, the, I- the other part of this, the other part of this, I would tell you, Jim, is it's not as easy as it sounds because our employees who maybe haven't been through that experience have to now fill out applications and paperwork. We have a whole army of volunteers that have raised their hands in our company, to say, we want to help. We want to help them navigate the paperwork and the process so we can get these kids to school. All and right, well, Jim, I'll tell you what, it just speaks
1: volumes. Well, I would be remiss, Jim, if I did not mention, after that incredible thing that you're doing, that I do indeed have some Spam pumpkin spice in my hand, and we are ready <laughs> for your next full throwdown, and I will have it on set and we'll zoom it, all righty?
2: That is, that's a deal, and you
1: better make sure that you're wearing your spam mask. I'd never go anywhere without it. Jim Snead, thank you for everything you do for the community. Thank you for everything you do for shareholders, and thank you for some really good tasting stuff. Great to see you again, sir. Good to see you. Thanks, yeah. Jim. Have a great day. Yeah. That's Jim Snead, chairman CEO of Hormel Foods. Just hit a high, bounces down. That's when you buy. my money's back after the break. day where consumer confidence cratered and the Dow Jones Industrial Average sold off, you have to wonder, how long can this market keep running? I've told you over and over again that the rally is legit. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's sustainable. For all the people who tell you Wall Street's become disconnected from Main Street, it's not exactly true. It's not really exactly true. I mean, what we've had over the past few months is a powerful yet narrow bull market, mostly in the stocks that either benefit from COVID or can safely ignore it. Even as the S&P 500 keeps making new highs, most stocks the S&P are still down for the year. Dow has a lot less technology exposure and still down more than 1,000 points from its February highs, even as it's come roaring back from the March lows. Long story short, I'm worried that this market has bad breath, like a lot of other people who follow this market, meaning not enough groups are winning, even as the smaller cohort of winners is doing very well. And a bull market with bad breath could have a limited shelf life. How limited? I, rather than going with my gut, I want to take a less emotional, more empirical approach. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with Tom DeMarc. He's the legendary head of DeMarc Analytics. Now, DeMarc is a titan of technical analysts, and he's a market timer Park Salons. He's created eponymous indicators and strategies. Hey, we were just talking about the DeMarc Sequential 13 last week. He's a consultant for some of the most successful hedge funds on Earth, and he spent decades turning the art of technical analysis into something closer to the science of timing the market. Now, I know I use a lot of superlatives, but DeMarc's methodology is really something else. And we are very grateful to him for sharing it with us on Mad Money. He called the breakdown in February. We last checked in with him in late March, and he told us the Dow Jones Industrial Average had bottomed, and the S&P 500 would bottom soon after, which is exactly what happened. Now those stocks have been on fire for five months, and DeMarc's methodology is telling him that we could be approaching the peak. Doesn't mean we peaked already. I know I don't think. But he wouldn't be surprised if the bull market rolls over later this week or early next week. We're putting it on the equation, okay? Well, what's the logic here? All right, take a look at the daily chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Decades ago, DeMark developed a series of timing models that have proven to be un- un- really unbelievably reliable. He and his team are famous for predicting moments when a trend is about to exhaust itself. You can get deep into the weeds of this stuff on Symbolic, and I'm going to spell that for you, S-Y-M-B-O-L-I-K.com, which is this cloud-based analytics platform. Right now, though, we need to talk about two of them, the TD Sequential and the TD Combo. In February and March, the TD Combo model absolutely nailed the top and then the bottom in the Dow. You had upside trend exhaustion 13 in February, followed by downside trend exhaustion 13 in March. I bring this up because right now the Dow Jones Industrial Average is 10 sessions into what could be another 13-session combo. At this point, if we get three days where the Dow closes higher than the day before, that would tell DeMarc that this rally is about about to run out of steam. At the same time, He's also looking for key levels where trends tend to exhaust themselves, relying on Fibonacci ratios, a key series of numbers discovered by the medieval godfather of mathematics, Leonardo Fibonacci. And what are those key numbers? Okay, 23.6%, 38.2%, 50%, 61.8%, and 100%. These ratios repeat over and over again in nature, and for some bizarre reason, they also show up at important points in the stock market. For example, the March lows happened uh, right as the Dow had pulled back to 61.8% of its February highs. Isn't that incredible? I mean, it's it's not hocus-pocus. And DeMarc's currently doing the same kind of analysis. If you multiply the March lows by 161.8% Fibonacci number, you get an upside target of 29,469 for the Dow, up a little more than 4% from here. What does that mean? If the Jones industrial average can rally for two or three days in a row to the point where it gets within spitting distance of its February highs, that would tell DeMarc we're peaking. While we're not there yet, we are getting closer, and it's absolutely something you need to watch for, according to DeMarc. Not me. Remember, we're using DeMarc's work. How about the daily chart of the S&P 500? To DeMarc, this recent move is looking a lot like the fabulous bull market from August 2017 through February of 2018. There's a very high correlation here. If that correlation doesn't break down, we're likely to see a top here by early next week. S&P is currently at 11 on the TD Combo, 13 countdown. So, you know, you see we're at 11, we got 13 countdown. So if we get three more strong days, that could represent the last gasp of this magnificent move. Now I need to show you a pair of charts um, Okay, I'm going to warn you, these are charts that are going to put thoughts in your head that I don't necessarily want you to have, but I need you to see everything, okay? They're a lot worse than they really are, worse than they are, okay? The chart's worse than the story. This is the daily chart of the Dow Jones averages right now, layer of the performance of the Dow in 1929 and 1930. Specifically, we want to look at the period from November 1929 low, not long after the Great Crash, to the high in April of 1930. Because, believe it or not, there was a sizable bounce. People don't remember that. Well, of course, because they're not around. At the beginning of the Great Depression, that rebound lasted for 107 days. Right now, it's been 107 trading days since the March lows. Again, DeMarc's not saying we're going to repeat 1930. In fact, given where we are in this countdown, he'd bet against it. He's worried the Dow might peak soon, but not yet. I am more bullish, but this is another thing that is worth Keeping uh, in your head, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to see this in, in Twitter saying Kramer says we're going to crash again. This is DeMarc's work. OK, I thought it was interesting. Now, what if we compare the recent action in the S&P 500 to the action in the Dow over that same period in the Depression, from November 1929 to April 30? Demark points out that during this post-crash rebound, the Dow gave you 36 successfully higher closes before its dead cat bounce at the apex. OK. The S&P currently recorded 35 successfully higher closes since the March lows. You can also count on daily upthrusts, days where the, where the index spikes on high volume, but then closes down. Since the bottom in March, the S&P's had 16 upthrusts, which is exactly the same number we saw in the Dow during the 1929-1930 period. Now, again, market doesn't think we're about to repeat the performance of the Great Depression. He's just pointing out that there are some historically suboptimal patterns here. I find these fascinating. Again, I'm more sanguine. Bottom line, don't get complacent. This should teach you not to be complacent. The charts is interpreted by the brilliant Tom DeMarc, suggest that both the Dow and the S&P could potentially roll over either later this week or early next week. Specifically, we get a big burst higher over the next few days. DeMarc's prepared to call the top, and when he makes the top call, it pays a listen. Again, he hasn't called a top. He thinks we've still got room to run. But you need to be careful, because if DeMarc's right, This market's next leg, well, the one higher, it could potentially be its last. Again, I'm more sanguine, but I like to show everybody's view my respect. Stick with (laughs) me. It is time. It's time for the (laughs) nightmare. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? skiing daddy, Over the lightning round. Let's start with Andre in New York. Andre.
2: Jim, good evening. Good evening. Andre from Long Island, New York. Um, Scott's Miracle Grow. They uh, recently raised their uh, quarterly dividends. They uh, announced a $5 special right. dividend. And, uh, you know, they had an outstanding...
1: It was fabulous, but remember... I mean, this is one of those where I feel like, you know what, that may have been the trade. I mean, the summer's almost over. We don't use a lot of Scotts Miracle go going into the fall. So I think you take the money and run there. And I've been liking that company for a long time. Let's go to Nathaniel in Wisconsin. Nathaniel. Hey, Booyah, Jim. in Wisconsin here. Uh,
2: my question for you is what's going on with the uh, Marathon Petroleum Corporation? Is it being
1: diluted? Should I sell it? No, uh, no, 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 no. I think people react. Well, look, everybody hates everything carbon. Everyone hates everything oil. But this is a long race. uh, And I think you should I think you should stay in. Okay, and I can do a longer piece on that. But I think you should stay in it. Let's go to Stephen in Pennsylvania, please. Stephen. Yeah. How you doing, Jim? I am doing well. First time caller. Okay. Hey, listen, (laughs) my whole family loves
2: watching your show. Thank you. Listen. Uh, Larry Culp is being held on, uh,
1: maybe he's going to get a $230 million to revitalize GE. What's going on with GE? Should I keep it? Yeah, you want to keep it. I think Larry's going to be able to pull it off. But remember, I mean, you know what? Yes. Yes, you should buy GE. I think it's, uh, larry just got a new long-term contract. I wanted to see that. He's got dealt a real bad hand, and he's trying to augment it. Sometimes if you go to the card tables with me, you'll see how difficult that is, but I think he will get it done. Let's go to Mick in Arizona. Mick! Hi. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah. I'd like to give a shout-out to my beautiful baby daughter, Violet Rose, and my gorgeous girlfriend, Amy. Also, my good friend, Oracle. Oh, yeah. My, question for, you, so my question for you is, with the stock market at all-time highs and the energy sector lagging, is the beat-up heavyweight Chevron with their strong dividend and balance sheet a buy right now? Well, look, I don't like uh, oil and gas. I think it's uninvestable, but the only large oil company I would buy is Chevron. Mike Worth doing a good job, 6% yield, and he can pay it. Let's go to Daniel in Colorado. Daniel. Booyah, Jim. How's it going? All right, it's going well. How about you? Pretty good.
2: So with the new police reform bills going in effect in 2021 and 2023, uh, would Exxon be a good short-term and or long-term investment as it's floating well, from 79 $85? we have been behind
1: care? Rick Smith and, and his work. Uh, he's the CEO uh, for I don't know, uh, let's call it let's call it 60 points, uh, and we're still backing him. Uh, so nothing's changed for us. Let's go to Kyle in New Jersey, Kyle. Hey Jim, hope all is well with you and everyone in your show. Do I had well. I have a question for you. I was wondering what your thoughts are with Peloton. Well, you know, people want Peloton to be a, um, a an ecosystem. I'm always uncomfortable with that. to say Andy. Well, absolutely that too. Um, but I, I would like to, um, I'd like to ring the register, Pelton. I got so many different positions that I'd say people are good at. Like this one's run up so much; it's up 133 percent. That's a, that's a bit of a nosebleed for me. And I, I and that, ladies and gentlemen, is conclusion of the lightning round.
3: The lightning round is sponsored by T. G. Ameritrade. <laughs>
1: If you can't beat them, I say, join them. That's how I feel about these early morning traders who insist on being active whenever they see or hear something positive about the macro data or potential vaccine diagnosis, whatever. If we're hearing rumblings of successful clinical trials, they buy certain stocks. If we get any macro good news, they go for the same groups, especially the airlines. Who are these people? Well, they're often dismissed as Robinhood traders, meaning younger home gamers who mostly came in near the bottom in March and have been coining money ever since, even as some of the smartest people in the industry warned you to stay away, said this is the most dangerous market in history. Yet for months, all sorts of genius hedge fund managers have argued that this market's stupendously scary. And you'd have to be a moron to own stocks here, or 1,000 points below this, or 1,000 points below that, but you get the picture. But when you go to the tape, these geniuses all got it revoltingly wrong. The amateur Robinhood traders who assume, assume that stocks just go up Hey, they nailed it. OK, they did. Nobody's been more right about this year than Dave Portnoy. Yes, Davey Day trade from Barstool. And that drives the pros crazy because Portnoy's mantra is stocks always go up. Now, it doesn't get any more unsophisticated than that. Yet for five months, it's been dead right. The suits would say that's pure luck. I think maybe they got it wrong. What Portnoy understands is that stocks go up when things get better. He doesn't need to look deeper than that. If he did, he might feel differently. But if he felt differently, he'd have a worse track record. I have to tell you that his calls are a heck of a lot better than the suits, uh, as he calls them, the ones that they're making. Oh, he's also a lot more entertaining. Oh, what does this have to do with the morning traders? Okay, they have a set routine. You can follow it by getting up at 4 a.m. like I do. And you watch this thing called the crawl at the bottom. Okay, it tells you what people are doing. And you can see little buys. Now, if you've seen some positive news on the COVID front, we're going to probably have an update. So these morning traders immediately buy the airlines. They buy United, JetBlue, Delta, American, and Southwest. Let's say you want to play their game. What should you do? The best, most fundamentally sound is Southwest, symbol L-U-V. It already said it doesn't need a bailout. The worst and therefore the most speculative and maybe the most exciting is American Airlines. I think it absolutely needs a bailout. It has a heck of a lot more problems than Southwest. It needs a bailout. It needs a vaccine. It needs something. But they will rally and rally and rally and rally and rally if they get a break. Then these warning traders go for the cruise lines, because even though they aren't sailing right now, won't be for months, they're synonymous with a return to normalcy. Think Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Norwegian. Here are the best, Norwegian, because it has the most cash per share, and that means it can hold out if a COVID vaccine takes longer than expected. I told you cruises will be loved as much as ever. Next up, shopping. Oddly, these morning traders always grab for Simon Property Groups, the largest owner of mall real estate in America. I mean, crazy, I know it's a read. Malls are different from shopping centers or strip malls, neither of which are in favor with the Robin the crowd. Simon has real issues. The pandemic's been brutal on its indoor shopping malls. They're desperately trying to get out by buying Talman, another mall owner, they agreed to acquire before the virus hit. These traders... Couldn't care less. They're just betting on a rebound. Then they go by the hotels, usually Hilton, but sometimes Merritt. I think Merritt's superior operator, better management, a lot of exposure to China, which is good. It's recovering nicely because they got COVID under control. Then the Robinhood traders, remember, that's a rubric. Uh, they buy Chipotle, too, uh, although that's more of a COVID play than a recovery play. Chipotle pivoted to delivery and takeout, so they're making as much money as they did before the pandemic. But these traders also go for McDonald's, even though it's not as good. That's it. Uh, if you want to play this game, when you see good news on the COVID front, what do you do? Okay, well, you buy Southwest, Norwegian, Hilton, Simon Properties, and Chipotle in pre-market trading. Because by the time you get to the opening, it's too late. The die's already cast. Now, I don't actually recommend pre-market trading. Honestly, for most people, I wouldn't recommend any kind of short-term trading at all. It's too hard. However, if you want to play this game, now you have your game plan. These amateur Robin Hood types... They may not be sophisticated, but for months, they've been right, along with the confounding Philly-bound Portnoy. And I'll take being right over being arrogant and sophisticated any day of the week. Stick with Kramer. With Salesforce up this much, expected to be a contributor, of course, to the Dow tomorrow morning, just want to spend another second on it. What happened here is they made a series of great acquisitions. And then this last quarter, they did hit a wall because, of of course, COVID. And now that that wall has been penetrated, we see all the work they've done and all these acquisitions really paying off. And that's what happened here. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow.